0: This is a Disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm not here with my co-host, Lee. I'm Lee, and I'm not here with my co-host, Peter. Still old, but I'm just going to keep saying it so that people know (laughs) that we're
1: at a distance. Exactly.
0: And you're joining us today for a major disaster hosted by this guy, indicating myself. That's two in a row now. That's right. I went from not, you know, a lot of guest episodes to... Bringing back the disasters. Back in the driver's seat where he belongs. Yeah. Before we get yeah. started, like I always do, I'm going to do a bit of quick housekeeping. If you're new here, welcome. We're very happy to have you. If you want to know where to start, I recommend the beginning because we don't do inside jokes. You're not going to miss out on any of that. But if you want to get the full big picture, because we refer to previous episodes, I'm looking at my notes and there's like three on the first page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I recommend starting at the beginning and going through to listen to everything and then you'll be up to speed. If you go through all those episodes and you like what you heard, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell someone to listen to this podcast. The next best thing you can do is to subscribe if you're not already and leave a rating or review wherever you listen. I think Apple Podcast is still the best. You can also keep up with what we're doing on our social media at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook on our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. In our patreon.com slash this disaster pod where you can get lots of bonus content micro disasters that come out every two weeks we just had one that come out that came out uh courtesy of nuclear norm talking about clean coal mm, clean coal yeah you get discount codes on merch speaking of merch we got our next shirt pre-order up now if you go on shop.ThisDisasterPod.com, disasterpod.com it says back order it's a pre-order you go on there you click in all your stuff click order We'll get all that. We'll make them to order and then we'll ship them out. You'll get them by, by. I almost said Halloween. You'll get them by Christmas. <laughs> so check that out. Shop.ThisIsAstropod.com. The reason I said Halloween though, is because we were just discussing this. I think Halloween's just around the corner. I'm kind of getting in the spooky mood. I don't know about you.
1: Spooky mood's coming. Yeah, I'm
0: feeling it. So I think we're going to be doing a horror movie watch party on our Discord. Mm -hmm. So if you want to check that out, get on our Discord again through our website, thisdisasterpod.com. There's a link there that'll take you to the Discord. You can join. We talk there a bunch. And I think we're going to find a way to do a watch party of... I don't know how we're going to do it yet, but I think we'll vote on like five movies, I think you were saying.
1: Yeah, well, everyone, I mean, chime in with some uh, suggestions and maybe we'll hone it down to five and do a vote or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. My my go-to is Hereditary because I think it's the greatest horror movie slash movie of all time, but that's... It is fantastic. That's just one man's opinion. (laughs) (laughs) So check that out too. Perhaps the most ancient and basic of all the disasters is the earthquake. Oh, classic. Since the earth was forming, it's been shaking. And we haven't really talked about earthquakes
1: specifically, but today, today we're gonna be talking about earthquakes. This is the smoke on the water of disasters. It is indeed. Tried, tested and true. Mm -hmm.
0: The ancient Greeks thought that earthquakes might be caused (laughs) by underground air pockets.
1: Okay. I'm starting with a sidebar on earthquakes. Peter taking it back (laughs) to the beginning of civilization as usual. (laughs) I like, to, I like to inform. I like to be informed. Entertain so. and inform. I think it's called... Win-win. Infotainment. Informtainment? Informtainment.
0: Inform-tainment. I think it's yeah. technically... In, doesn't matter. Mine's better. Yeah, it is. The ancient Greeks... So like I said, the ancient Greeks thought that earthquakes might be caused by underground air pockets, but they later revised this to be the interactions of ground with water around the 5th and 4th centuries BC. So eventually, the Greeks, again, like they did with medicine, kind of started to get it right. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's not. The first one was a good guess. That's true too, right? You know. I'm I'm always amazed by, I was reading recently, I forget the name now, but it's going to be something super obvious and someone's going to (laughs) point it out and I'm going to feel ridiculous for not remembering. But the idea that everything is made up of atoms. Right. Like that idea showed up, I think in ancient Greece around like, you know, fourth century BC. Just, hey, I think everything's made up of really small things. That is
1: insanely intuitive. Kind of nailed it. (laughs) that might be a small proof of time travel or something like that. So in Greek mythology,
0: earthquakes were Poseidon's fault. Mm. When he got angry, he would thrust his trident into the ground, causing earthquakes. Move forward a bit in time. In Norse mythology, earthquakes are the result of Loki's violent struggles. I didn't know about this. Mm. As punishment, for i'm assuming something that loki did wrong which probably numbers in the thousands he was chained underground with a venomous snake suspended over his head Mm -hmm. and he his wife was there and she was holding a bowl over his head to catch the venom as it dripped from the snake into the bowl and whenever (laughs) she needed to empty the bowl she'd move it away the venom would drip onto loki's face and then him struggling (laughs) against that would be earthquakes
1: Yeah. This is some kinky uh, disaster games here.
0: Also makes me think that they should have come up with a better system. Yeah. Like some kind of a gutter to just like, don't get a bowl. Don't get a bowl. The bowl, you've always got to move it and dump it. That's
1: part of the fun though.
0: <laughs> for her, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just for both. <laughs> oh, fair enough. It's like a little cat and mouse game.
0: <laughs> and then in <laughs> in Japanese mythology, earthquakes are caused by the thrashing of a giant catfish named Namazu, so <laughs> Stuck inside the earth. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Get me out of here. So,
0: <laughs> so now you've got, you've got three things you can add to your list of things to tell people at parties to either make them interested in you or to never talk to you again. <laughs>
1: exactly. Room clearing anecdotes.
0: All of these were close, but now we know that it's the movement of tectonic plates. We know that now. Which is a little bit less interesting than Loki's wife letting venom drip <laughs> onto his face. But yeah, you know.
1: boring, but Okay.
0: So as we discussed before, the Earth's mantle is made up of tectonic plates. And this came up Mm. in episode four in Tsunami Terror, Mm. uh, in episode eight when we talked about Mount St. Helens, and in episode 11 when we talked about the cosmic terror at the end of the universe. Mm. Comes up a lot. It does. Turns out we're made of plates. So the tectonic plates are in more or less constant motion. And there are regions where these tectonic plates meet called fault planes. So theoretically, the plates could move past each other if there are no rough spots and really have no effect. Like if they just kind of float by, nothing would happen. Right. But in practice, there are rough spots pretty much everywhere along these fault planes. Oh, bummer. None of them really float by each other without coming into contact. No. They basically move along, catch on these friction points, store a bunch of energy, and then when it finally releases, that's when you get an earthquake. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So there are three main fault types. Strike slip. Strike slip. Those are kind of the more... Uh, I don't know if it's the most common, but that's the idea of two plates moving horizontally past each other. Okay. It's called a strike slip when they just kind of like Mm. slide by each other. You've got normal which is two plates <laughs> moving away from each other. Uh-huh. I guess that's the it's normal one.
1: <laughs> normal uh, fault string. <laughs> it's
0: just your normal fault, basically. Just,
1: just give me a normal. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when
0: they're moving away from each other and one kind of slides down the surface of the other. And this is the kind of plate movement that most often leads to volcanoes forming. Ah. Uh, because it's like one plate moving away from the other kind of exposes the magma underneath and you get a volcano kind of bubbling to the surface. Your basic
1: normal. Yeah. And then you've got mm. the reverse. <laughs> These all sound like skate like skateboarding tricks speaking of Tony Hawk. <laughs> I was going to say sexual positions. Uh, okay. Well, you know, we all have our own uh, sure. it's like a, life is like a big Rorschach test, you know.
0: <laughs> you just see
1: what you want to see.
0: I've, I've ridden a skateboard twice in my life and one of those times I ended up in a hospital. <laughs>
1: uh, you remember the pictures? You of your mutilated foot. Yeah, quick sidebar to, for people
0: in the in the live stream, maybe, maybe this is not making it into the episode, but I got into live, <laughs> I got into longboarding for a weekend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, claimed it was the best sport ever during that weekend. It was awesome. Honestly, I, it was still an awesome experience. I just regret the part where I went down a hill that was steeper than I thought it was, lost control, <laughs> and then stopped myself with my ankle on the concrete. Uh, and it wasn't like new smooth asphalt. It was like the cheese grater <laughs> weathered concrete kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So,
0: yep. yeah, hospital. That wasn't fun.
1: That's a strike slip, I think.
0: That's a strike slip. Yeah. No, I slip think that was strike. a strike. That was a strike slip to a reverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. then in the reverse, you have two plates that move towards each other, and then one basically slides up against the other one. Ah. And these also lead to volcano formations. Uh, I think, actually, this, this is like a subduction event, if you remember from the Mount St. Helens episode. When one side sort of slips underneath the other one, creates a ton of friction, melts the rock, the rock kind of builds up in these pockets, bubbles to the surface, yeah. and then you get a volcano. Mm, so crazy! the largest earthquakes are the result of reverse faults. Kind of makes sense. That's when the two big pieces of land are coming together. All right. And these are known as megathrust earthquakes. It's hey, hey. a good name. Hey. Megathrust. Hey. That's back. <laughs> back to the Rorschach. This all
1: sounds dirty to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly
0: <laughs> and like i said this is the kind of thing that this is the kind of thing where you get subduction zones like in Ma- uh, episode eight mount saint helens because you get like one going out of the other melting the rock volcano volcano sorry <laughs> megathrust earthquakes are responsible for anything of magnitude eight or above magnitude you might say magnitude i'm glad you asked <laughs> remember we're in a sidebar so this is sidebar about charles francis richter ah so he's a physicist and seismologist, and seismology is the science of earthquakes. It's funny that
1: he's named after the uh, measurement of earthquakes,
0: right? I guess his parents were just super into earthquakes.
1: I think I guess so. And changed their last name. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Early in his
0: research career, there was only one scale available to measure earthquakes. Yes. Do you remember what it was called? Oh, of course.
1: Nope, I don't. Really? We talking about no. it before. In
0: 1902, <laughs> Italian volcanologist Giuseppe Mercalli. Oh yeah. Uh, introduce the Mercalli intensity scale for measuring earthquake intensity.
1: Mercalli.
0: Yeah. That's what it was. There you go. I just said his name twice. <laughs> I've already forgotten it. <laughs> good, good. If you remember, this was a scale that quantified earthquakes on 12 points going from not felt and weak to violent and three levels of extreme. Right. It's useful in a historical context because the scale is based on descriptions of how much damage an earthquake caused. Mm-hmm. So it kind of allows you to get a relative measure of how intense earthquakes were in the past. True. So when we talked about Thera Destroyer, the giant volcano, the ancient volcano, in episode 27. 27. Off the top of my head, immediately. There was probably a Mercalli intensity index associated with it based on the damage that it caused, but I can't yeah, remember off the top probably of my head. was. So that's why it was handy. But the problem is, is that it's not precise as it could be, especially given the advances in seismology and technology generally over time. Right. So in 1935, Richter and his collaborator, Bino Gutenberg, published what would become known as the Richter scale. Aha. Uh-huh. Kind of sucks to be Gutenberg. It's just called the Richter scale.
1: <laughs> Everyone yeah. knows the Richter scale. Everyone knows the Richter scale. No one knows the Gutenberg. You just think you're watching police academy movies or something. <laughs> or <laughs> printing books, right?
0: Printing stupid books. Because Gutenberg. The Richter scale was an absolute measurement of earthquake intensity on a logarithmic scale. Yes, uh, and I never, I never actually realized this. Maybe you, you probably did, but so that means that, for example, a magnitude seven earthquake is ten times as intense as a magnitude six, and a hundred times more intense than a magnitude five. <laughs> and I think maybe somewhere I, like I, in the back of my mind, I probably knew it was logarithmic. But still, you hear like, oh, it's just an eight. Well, five isn't that bad, and eight is only three more. But no, it's it's a thousand times worse. So yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I I really. I do honestly appreciate the fact that you assumed that I would have come to that conclusion when you didn't. Right, but I didn't. Oh, but I know that an eight is—that's a big one. Yeah, I know that. Right. I just don't know the the extremes of leveling up. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs>
0: so the Richter scale is measured using a seismograph yes and you've definitely seen one it's like that rolling piece of paper
1: with a line getting drawn on it
0: and there's there's technology behind it but we've got a disaster to get to
1: just call up the movie Tremors from your in your mind and yes it's in there exactly yes or the
0: movie Earthquake
1: Aptly named. Even better. The 70s, I think they've got to have some of those in there.
0: Earthquakes are usually used as, or they're often used as canaries in the coal mine for worse disasters to come. Ah. So often, a series of smaller magnitude earthquakes are an indicator of volcanic eruptions. Right. They can also sometimes cause the eruption. So I don't know if you remember in Mount in St. Helens episode eight, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake caused a landslide, which triggered the mountain to ex- essentially explode out right, the side right. of it yeah And they can also cause a massive tsunami that runs up a hill latuya <laughs> Bay mega tsunami. I remember Tregion that Tuesday yeah. episode five and a half that was fun. That was a seven point eight magnitude earthquake that caused a piece of a mountain to drop into Latuya Bay pretty
1: quickly too. a big piece at almost light speed, yeah, into the water with mm-hmm. such force that it created a tsunami out of nothing
0: indeed. <laughs> Earthquakes typically show up in clusters or swarms and are followed by aftershocks. And aftershocks are generally smaller in magnitude than the main shock. Although obviously if there's like a main earthquake and then the aftershock is bigger, then that gets labeled the main earthquake and the one before it is called like a (laughs) foreshock. But yeah, (laughs) foreshock. The most obvious effect of an earthquake is everything shaking. Yes. Turns out. When a massive tectonic plate rubs against another tectonic plate, everything on it shakes. The constant vibrations can also cause soil to act more like a liquid Hmm. because you're kind of like shaking everything apart. If you think about it, it's like if you have like a a tray with a a mound of sand on it and you like shake it back and forth, then it kind of like flattens out. So it can also lead to sinkhole type situations where the ground literally falls out from underneath buildings and sucks them into the earth. Jesus Christ. Kind of terrifying. Yeah. Also, like we saw in episode four, earthquakes can cause tsunamis when they occur deep underwater.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Not doing anyone any favors. No. Today on This is a Disaster. Hot takes about earthquakes. <laughs> yeah. Hot takes better. <laughs> Close sidebar.
0: Phew. <laughs> Modern Tangshan is a city in northeast China. It's a prefecture level city and a prefecture is an administrative division of the People's Republic of China. Okay. Smaller than a province, but bigger than a county. Okay. Humans have lived in Tangshan uh, or in the region of Tangshan for about 4000 years. Mm. And in the late 1970s, it had been a People's Republic of China or PRC prefecture for 27 years, an important industrial city responsible for heavy machinery, chemicals, petroleum products, textiles and glass to name a few. Okay. It was also important for coal mining. Mm. And also towering throughout the city were smokestacks with a totally not ominous message from the founding father of the People's Republic of China, Mao Zedong, that read, Prepare for war and natural disasters.
1: That's your daily affirmation, is it? It is, yeah. Okay.
0: You wake up and you see a giant smokestack that says, prepare for war and natural disasters. (laughs) Not good morning. Yeah. No. (laughs) Not welcome to Tangshan. Always be ready.
1: It's pragmatic.
0: (laughs) On July 29th, 1976, everything was fine in northeastern China.
1: Okay, so we're on a
0: specific date here. We are. Okay. But it's not the date we're talking about. Okay. Because on July 29th, according to the Chinese state media, everything was kosher. Mm. But the residents of Tang Shen knew a little bit better. Okay. Because at 3, 42, and 56 seconds a.m. on July 28th, <laughs> 1976, the day before... Yes. Yes. A cascade of bright lights lit up the city and a shallow focus earthquake struck 12 kilometers below the southern part of Tangshan. Oh. Residents were thrown into the air and in the space of about 30 seconds, 50 square kilometers or 20 square miles of buildings, roads and infrastructure was reduced to rubble.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa.
0: The earthquake that yeah. shook Tangshan to rubble took about as much time as it took me to tell you that it shook the town to rubble.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I don't know how to react. It's so...
0: Blink and you miss it.
1: Yeah. Jeez.
0: It's kind of like when we were talking about uh, the Tunguska event. Like it just kind of... Everyone was minding their business... And then the sky exploded. The asteroid that skipped off the atmosphere.
1: Right. So wait, would you say shallow focus?
0: Yeah. So I I think I forgot to mention that earlier, but there's two, there's kind of two different types of earthquakes. There's deep focus and shallow focus. Mm. Deep focus earthquakes happen. They originate around two to 300 kilometers underground. And then shallow focus, I think is anything above 70 kilometers. Okay. So this was a shallow focus earthquake that originated about 12 kilometers below the surface of Tang Shen. Okay. And we'll get into magnitudes in a bit. Let me just tell you a little bit more about this earthquake. Okay. While we're talking about it. Yeah. For the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like I said, residents were thrown into the air. Jeez. Railroad tracks were ripped out of the ground. Trees were uprooted. Crops were blown over. And uh, there's an early account from about the earthquake from Hoshu Shen, who was a senior police officer with the Tangshan Police Force. And I've got a few quotes here. Uh I saw a quick flash of greenish blue light in the sky and heard a strange sound from underground like a freight train. The floor began jerking up and down. I jumped out of the window, but the earth shook back and forth and threw me to the ground. My house collapsed. For two or three minutes, there was no sound. And then I heard people crying everywhere in the darkness in the ruins of their homes. Oh my
1: God. 30 seconds. Man. To have the foresight to jump out of your window of the of your house. Right. Yeah. That's quick thinking.
0: That flies in the face of a lot of stuff we've talked before.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to wait this out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm staying. I'm going to stay.
0: My yeah. s- my stuff's in here. Yeah. I'm all set. I'm good. Uh, I'll wait yeah, it out. Okay. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> so throughout Tang Shan, sinkholes littered the landscape, making into more of like a wiffle Tang Shan situation. <laughs> Okay. Seams in the earth opened up everywhere. So just like cracks in the earth opening. Hell, throughout hell. the city. Yep. There's some more hell. In Tianjin, almost 100 kilometers away from the center of the earthquake that hit Tangshan, the friendship guest house, which was a hotel, split down the middle, resulting in a one-foot gap between the two halves. Wow. Just...
1: <laughs> friendship <laughs> over. Can
0: you... <laughs> you know you just know that there were like two kid two bratty kids fighting in that hotel room this is the line and everything on this side is mine and everything on that side is yours
1: that's not fair the tv's (laughs) on your side
0: (laughs) and then it really was on his side oh geez Uh, where's mom too dark (laughs) what the hell she's fine she, she, Yeah, they, they got it. The earthquake was even felt in Beijing, about 200 kilometers or 125 miles east of Tangshan. Mm. There, only, quote unquote, 100 people died yeah. 200 kilometers away from Tangshan, by the way, as an Whoa. indication. We haven't gotten into the uh, casualty numbers yet in Tangshan, but right. just keep in mind that in Beijing, 200 kilometers,
1: 125 miles away, 100 people died. 100 people died. Yeah. And that's the tip of the iceberg.
0: Indeed. Still, most of the six million residents of Beijing poured out of their homes despite the torrential rain that came down following the earthquakes, Mm. which kind of fair enough because I haven't experienced, thankfully, that many earthquakes, but I'm never, never exactly sure what to do. Like, I think I stand, do I stand in a doorway? I think I stand in a doorway.
1: I remember the last sort of, big quote one we had was like 10 years ago maybe more okay you remember like yeah i do i do it was probably like a i don't even i'm not even gonna guess what it was but it shook things yeah uh i was sitting on the toilet (laughs) (laughs) i really didn't know what to do other than whoa (laughs) (laughs) and then it was over
0: did you think that it was something you ate.
1: That did cross my mind. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, no, fair enough. Like running out into the street, that's probably
1: what I do. I think that's what everyone... Is. Like if nothing else, just to see other people and yeah. just sort of... You you, you flock together in a, in a situation like that. It also makes me think about
0: like just... It's, it's a kind of disaster on a scale that you can't escape. All right. Sometimes like... I'm trying to think of an example. Well, recently sadly the giant explosion in Beirut. Right. That's an explosion where if you're observing it it's like oh that is horrific over there. Yeah. Away Jeez. from me those localized in, in one place. Right. But right. an earthquake it's like oh so absolutely everything around me is shaking.
1: <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> the country is experiencing this.
0: Yeah, it just it just it's maybe one of those reminders from nature that's like hey you're all Just smarter animals. Yeah. Here, let me just shake you all to remind you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So when the earthquake hit, there were about 30 passenger and freight trains traveling along lines from Beijing through the area of Tangshan. Because Mm. the lines were built on weak soils, the rail lines buckled under the shaking, causing seven freight trains and two passenger trains to derail. Yikes. Longer term, the rail lines were crippled in part due to the communication lines going down, but mostly because the bridges all over the place collapsed like my grade seven science project where I had to build a bridge and it collapsed.
1: <laughs> just like that, eh?
0: Yeah, exactly like that, it turns out. <laughs> really bad at building bridges. <laughs> Man.
1: <laughs> that's
0: why I didn't go into engineering. Ah, that's why. Also not good enough at math. <laughs> again, the bridge collapsed because they were built on the soft soil. Mm. And remember, like I said, if you kind of, again, that tray with like two mounds of sand on it, if you build a bridge between the two and then you shake the tray, turns those mounds of sand just kind of... Turns like kind of liquidy. Everything goes away. Yeah. That's crap. That's kind of what happened all over Tangshan because it's a region that was built on soft soil. So when it started oh, shaking, man. it just kind of shook apart. Oh, okay. So before I get into this next part, I'm going to do a quick sidebar on the People's Republic of China. Hmm. I didn't know that much about it and I'm not going to go that in depth because I started reading and I could feel myself going down a rabbit hole. You know what? I'm gonna I'm going to expand on this the next time we're back in China for a disaster. Okay. This will be a quick primer on things that I thought were interesting about the People's Republic of China. Good enough. Between 1927 and 1949, China was host to a civil war between the Kuomintang government of the Republic of China, also known as the Chinese Nationalist Party, Mm -hmm. and the Communist Party of China, the CPC or Chinese Communist Party, CCP. So it took an eight-year break between 1937 and 1945 to fight the Japanese invasion of China with the help of the Allies during the Second World War. Right. There it is. By the way, World War II, World War II, at least once per episode. Peter loves it. <laughs> when hostilities resumed within China, yeah. the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, put the Kuomintang on the ropes, and eventually this whole situation became known as the Chinese Communist Revolution, mm. where Mao Zedong, chairman of the CCP, proclaimed the People's Republic of China on October 1st, 1949. Mm. So Mao Zedong acted as chairman of the CCP for From its establishment in 49 until 1976, which is coincidentally the year of this devastating earthquake, that's right. And we'll loop back around to that significance in a second. Mm. We can't forget that the transition to power of the CCP and its reformation's came at a cost. We've heard this kind of we talked about a little bit before, like what happened in Russia with the with the revolution. But anyway, in 1958. The CCP initiated what's known or what came to be known as the Great Leap Forward, uh, which was a huge push to collectivize everything. Like, it's essentially the government being like, just, I'll give, give me, I'll just give me, give me. Uh-huh. And now I'll make sure everybody's provided for. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll, I'll see you right to that.
0: Yeah, this approach resulted in the death of up to 45 million people. Huh. So not great. Possibly not the best way to go about things.
1: And leap is a stretch too. Unless you're leaping into poverty <laughs> famine. and famine and death. Yeah. Typically
0: not the kind of things that you want to leap into, but... No. The situation in the Great Leap Forward also led to uprisings and tens of thousands of deaths that come with uprisings under a communist <laughs> leadership. You don't say. Yeah, not, not, mm. the, uh, not the talk it out kind of (laughs) Communist Party.
1: Actions speak louder than words, I guess.
0: So the Tangshan earthquake hit around the time of the Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution that started in 1966 and was kind of winding down by 1976. Mm. Apparently what went wrong during the Great Leap Forward was that they didn't go far enough didn't leap far During the proletarian cultural revolution, they didn't make that mistake again. It was basically a huge push to eliminate any non-communist elements. Oh, okay. It was like a massive indoctrination campaign on a national scale. Uh-huh. It led to massacres and cannibalism with death tolls in the tens of millions. Jeez. Also, again, you'll notice we went from a large-scale indoctrination talking about massacres and then immediately went to cannibalism. Uh-huh. That's something that I purposely didn't really dig too much deeper on this time around. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're going to come back to that at some point. But also yeah. just dropping it in there again. If you remember, <laughs> like in episode 12, the Egyptian yeah. famine.
1: It just comes up.
0: Yeah. Maybe there's an episode in about just like the general circumstances of people resorting to
1: cannibalism. <laughs> I know. And there must be like a tipping point where it's <laughs> yeah. like, things are bad. Things are really bad. Oh, cannibalism. It's a cannibalism. <laughs> So we've talked about the communist mentality
0: before in Chernobyl part one and two, episode 20 and 21. Yep. The CCP is often credited usually by its proponents for bringing China out of an era of famine and constant war and putting it back on track that eventually led to modern day China and being one of the superpowers. Mm. Kind of glosses over the fact that it also caused a lot of famine and
1: war. So... You could make that argument, I think.
0: Kind of causing it to solve it, maybe.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Kind of the cure is worse than the poison?
0: Indeed. (laughs) Either way, it's not surprising that an orthodox communist power like the CCP is stingy when it comes to handing out information to the public, let alone the world. Oh, really?
1: (laughs) Not that forthcoming, are they?
0: No, not really. So, Mm. as I mentioned, the Tangshan earthquake hit right at the end of a decade of massacres and people eating. (laughs) Look, they pepper it. I'm going to just pepper it in there. Hey. (laughs) Just talent like it is. Unsurprisingly, the government responsible for the fact that estimates of the dead during the proletarian cultural revolution range from tens of thousands to tens of millions was extremely reluctant to communicate the extent of the damage by this earthquake. <laughs> You're kidding. Yeah, you can also imagine the timing of this kind of thing. Somebody in the in the Communist Party was like, oh, "Thank Mao, we got that cultural revolution <laughs> under control." <laughs> I'm sorry, what's happening in Tangshan? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Probably nothing immediately after the earthquake, the CCP only really admitted that there was an earthquake and that it caused great losses to people, life, and property. If you remember when we talked about, yeah, when we talked about Chernobyl in part two, yeah, there was that radio broadcast where the in essence, an event happened in Ukraine. Yes, we are dealing with it.
1: In other news, everything, everything is fine. Prepare for war and disaster. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Basically, the message was, of all the earthquakes, this was one of them. People were affected.
1: <laughs> people were affected. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Not a lie. Initial estimates went up to about a million dead. Ugh. Admittedly, this is unlikely since the population of Tangshan at the time was closer to a quarter million. Yeah. Okay. But really, the CCP's silence and kind of l- misinformation or just general lack of information created a void that people filled with wild speculation, as you can imagine. Right. Of course. In August of 1976, the nationalist Chinese government in Taiwan estimated that the death toll was just over 100,000, with almost a million injured. Okay. And Tangshan was completely leveled,
1: Uh, is what they estimated. Right. At the center.
0: It wouldn't be until 1988, when the first probably reliable numbers were published by the Chinese Seismological Bureau, that it came out with the number 242,419 people. So a quarter million people dead. Okay. Which, at the time, is... Kind of most of the population of Tangshan. Okay. So whatever the number, even two hundred and forty two thousand on the low end is a catastrophic number of dead by earthquake standards.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. I can't fathom that as a number of humans. Like that's like a yeah a huge rock
0: yeah. concert festival. Well Woodstock. Woodstock was two hundred Woodstock was Woodstock like a quarter was, million. People.
1: I think yeah. Well, I think it's like half a million, but yeah. I don't know. The yeah. numbers vary yeah. on that. So too. Anyway. But yeah, let's say Woodstock. Picture Woodstock.
0: Part of these massive casualty numbers were due to the sheer magnitude of the earthquake. Okay. So we mentioned the Richter scale, a more modern approach to talk about earthquakes as moment magnitude. Moment. So the short version is that moment magnitude is, it's kind of a more direct measure of how much work an earthquake does in sliding one patch of rock past the other, like fault okay. planes. Yeah. So moment magnitude is like the modern one. You don't really like when you hear about magnitude now, odds are they're not talking about Richter scale, they're talking about moment magnitude.
1: Oh, they're okay.
0: The largest earthquake ever recorded had a moment magnitude of about 9.5. <laughs> I did a little bit of research on that one, and I feel like there's there's an episode there. So we'll get to that one okay. in the future. We'll sift that. So 9.5. The main shock that hit Tang Shan had a moment magnitude of 7.6. Okay. So still. Quite high. big And it had a second main shock that hit at 6.45 that afternoon. So this one hit at like almost 4 a.m. Uh-huh. And then I guess just over 12 hours later, a second one hit with a moment magnitude of seven. Whoa. Plus after that, there were about 125 aftershocks that followed throughout the day Whoa! following that initial shock. So essentially, Ugh. we talk about the one earthquake hitting in like less than thirty seconds, uh-huh. but Tangshan was pretty much shaking to some degree the entire day, just constantly. And you can also imagine like the people that were doing the rescue work that started at four a.m. You know, they do all this work, maybe they they uncover some houses and they get some things up and running again, and then six yeah. forty-five in the afternoon, you get hit <laughs> by another earthquake that's almost as big. Yeah, what do you what do you want from me, nature?
1: <laughs> <laughs> The ultimate, oh, come on. Yeah.
0: So another piece of the devastation puzzle is that the earthquake hit almost directly under Tangshan. Uh, So a lot of times you hear about earthquakes, but they happen kilometers, maybe even hundreds of kilometers away from a city where the damage actually happens. And it's just the waves propagating through the earth. Mm. Here, it happened almost directly, well, it happened directly underneath like the Southern portion of Tangshan. Okay. So obviously the earthquake size is an important measure. It's just as much about where it hits. Right. And that actually, it kind of ties back to a discussion I was having a while back with, uh, well, we talked about it a bit on the podcast. It's also a discussion I had with some other disaster enthusiasts. The idea that, is it a disaster if it doesn't affect anyone? If a 9.5 earthquake hits the middle of nowhere and no one feels it, is that a disaster?
1: I would say no. No, it's just the earth shaking. Relative to people Mm -hmm. or living things, I guess. But we're the the stupid sucky dummies who make it yeah. a disaster yeah, in the way of nature.
0: So, yeah, thinking about it in the context of this episode kind of reinforced. I think for me, the key ingredient is a human being affected. And I think specifically human because we have the capacity to be like...
1: Yeah, I think so. No, I built that. <laughs> yeah, because would you even call the 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 dinosaur extinction a disaster? I don't know. No. so, so didn't so, care. <clears throat> so that's actually...
0: <laughs> That was an early distinction I made, the the, the Reader's Digest book that kind of started all of this. Right. The first disaster in it is like the extinction of the dinosaurs. Oh. I remember looking at it and being like, no, it's not.
1: No, it's not. Yeah. Okay. So we we, we covered this already, but yeah.
0: yeah. 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 The dinosaurs
1: were like, I'm alive. I'm alive. Oh, I'm dead now. Yeah. Okay, good. Same page. Glad to hear it. You <laughs> <We> can agree <laughs> on that.
0: Yeah. terminated. Robocop. So yet another piece of the puzzle is that the earthquake hit at night. Ah. So even though it was sudden and massive, right. at least if you were awake during the day, you might have been able to react in some <laughs> oh way. Oh, God. This, this way for you know, 30 seconds, you get woken up by the tail end of the earthquake when your house is collapsing.
1: Right? <laughs> not a lot of, uh. Not a lot of time to react. Not a head, not a big head start.
0: To the CCP's credit, they got moving fairly quickly in the wake of the earthquake. Okay by 5 p.m. on July 28th, 1976 when it hit, they were airdropping supplies including water, medical supplies, food and clothing. Mm-hmm. So, that was, that was pretty quick, 12 That's hours.
1: Impressive. Yeah.
0: Within a day, convoys were bringing rescue workers and supplies from Beijing to Tangshan and evacuating people on their way out. Within seven days, there were about 100,000 soldiers and 60,000 medical and construction workers that had swarmed into Tangshan to help. Uh And in another common theme that we've talked about before, specifically in episode 1314 of the Black Death and episode 31, Jonestown Flood, Mm -hmm. you also run up against the idea of the sanctity of the corpse. So immediately after the earthquake, the surviving family and friends of a lot of people did what they could to actually give people proper burial rights. Sure. But essentially the army showed up and was like, um, there's a real risk of disease here. So (laughs) we're going to bag them and throw them in a hole. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: I still don't know what I think about it or what I really want to say about it, but it's, it's definitely a theme now. It's come up in a lot of episodes very first episode come across that like the plague of Athens you have very specific burial rites in ancient Greece Mm -hmm. but once the corpses start piling up that's good enough (laughs) yep as they're like outside the walls yeah
1: I mean at least this time they had a hole that's more than you can say for most of these that we come across where it's usually a pile or the plague pits
0: in the black death
1: oh yeah the plague pits yeah
0: I'm sure I'll have something more profound to say about that at some point, but maybe (laughs) in in a micro
1: disaster. Not today.
0: (laughs) So never one to miss an opportunity, the CCP leveraged the situation to whip up some brand new heroes of the communist state. On August 30th, 1976, the New York Times quoted the story of Che Ching Min, who was a resident of Tangshan. Uh, And this is originally published in the Beijing People's Daily. So I've got some quotes here. Okay. Immediately after the earthquake, Che Ching Min dragged himself from the ruins of his wrecked house. Seeing him, his 13-year-old daughter and 16-year-old son cried, quick, daddy, come and save us. Mm. As he was about to go to their aid, Che Ching-min heard another call for help coming from the home of Chu Quang-yu, Secretary of the Lu Pei Neighborhood Party Committee. <laughs> Communist Party Committee. Right. Apparently, Che Ching-min rescued the party official before helping his own children. <laughs> and when he returned home, Che Ching-min found his two children dead. But, according to the communist media Uh publication, Uh he felt neither remorse nor grief. (laughs) In the interests of the people of the neighborhood and in the majority interest, he did not hesitate to sacrifice his own children.
1: (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh
0: (laughs) Uh-huh. I mean, maybe that happened, but uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure teachable moment sure real or totally 100 percent made up for the benefit of the ccp stories aside <laughs> lots of bravery came out of the tangshan earthquake probably unsurprisingly at this point if you're a long-time listener to the show because you have these disasters but you always have people willing to help
1: oh yeah brings out the worst
0: and the best in people absolutely yeah. again we were talking we were just talking about the black death so i'm going to talk about it again like that it's a situation where most of europe is going to die but yeah. still you have stories all over the place of people helping the sick. Oh, yeah. When really, you know, the thing to do is what we've been doing for the last six months. So just lock yourself inside and don't touch anyone. Yeah. But then yeah. also in the Great Blizzard of 1888, you've got people helping people down from the, the, the sky train with ladders. Right, right. And charging them $2. The <laughs>
1: so,
0: best and worst.
1: Yeah. Sometimes rolled into one. So
0: you remember Hoshu Shen, that Tang Shen police officer? that got, that jumped out the window when he got woken up by the earthquake. Mm -hmm. He didn't go with rescuing a communist party official over his kid. And he basically escaped the rubble of his home with his 16 year old son. (sighs) What a traitor. Luckily for his family, he didn't just book (laughs) it either. So he turned around and dug through the rocks and dust that was their home until they saved mom and their two other sons. Wow.
1: Right.
0: So the fourteen-year-old daughter didn't make it. Oh, wow! But, uh, that sucks. But also, I feel like my reaction to that story is also interesting and kind of telling of humans, mm. because I feel like when we're talking about the quarter million that died in the earthquake, mm-hmm. you're like, oh wow, that's tragic. Yeah. not it is. It but is. then when you say like, oh, he couldn't save his fourteen-year-old daughter, that's devastating.
1: That is, yeah. You know that's what I
0: mean? A lot more specific. Yeah. Yeah, That's just, It's just interesting.
1: It's just different, yeah. So
0: Hoshu Shen didn't stop with his own family either. He and his 16-year-old son went door to door digging out whatever neighbors they could and they ultimately saved 19 people that day.
1: Holy moly.
0: Yeah, not bad. It's amazing. Also, also, mm. he recruited whoever he saved into his own rescue efforts and eventually set up a command post and did a lot of work towards bringing order to an otherwise completely chaotic city.
1: Wow, this is the guy.
0: This is the guy. Yeah. Forget that other party... Whatever, dude, who saved the party official. This that didn't, didn't happen. happen. And also, like, on top of all of this, there were obviously looters. Right. Because even with your city in rubble, you're still going to try and get something, right? Yeah. He ended up arresting about 70 of them and throwing them into jury-rigged jail cells. <laughs> oh, my God. Which also means that he found time to build jail
1: cells. He is RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Tangshan was a significant embarrassment for Chinese science in the 1970s. By this point, they had launched a satellite and developed nuclear weapons. There were hardly scientific pushovers. Right. But they couldn't see this massive event coming. (laughs) What gives, China? What's up? It's a little egg on the face moment here for them. Okay. Beyond this, it went deeper than just like the embarrassment of their science not being able to predict it. There was a core ideological belief throughout China in their ability to predict earthquakes. Okay. Everywhere you went, there was a line drawn in the sand between true communists that believed in the CCP's ability to predict earthquakes (laughs) and right-wingers that doubted it, essentially. That was like the split.
1: That's such an awfully
0: specific tenet. I mean, (laughs) there were other criteria, but it's just like, of course the Communist Party wouldn't let us get hit by an earthquake. They're looking out for us.
1: Exactly. They know what's up. So is this a mm-hmm. thing that is easily predicted, predictable? Well, we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> I should have known.
0: This belief was actually bolstered a year before Tang Shen in 1975 when an earthquake rocked Hai Ching. Okay. It caused, quote unquote, only between 300 and 2000 deaths, in large part because it was predicted far in advance. Ah. And we'll talk a little bit more about that too. So when Tang Shen got hit with a 7.6 magnitude earthquake out of nowhere, it rocked. Pun intended, the party belief in China's ability to predict earthquakes to the core. Now also, add to this the traditional Chinese belief that natural disasters generally and earthquakes in particular signaled a loss of legitimacy of the current government. Okay. Not to be spooky about it, but Mao Zedong died a few months after Tangshan.
1: Mm, Shen. So, coincidence? I don't know.
0: Maybe. <laughs> or it's getting close to Halloween. Uh-oh. Let's get
1: spooky. Spooky.
0: <laughs> Still. This got me thinking about how we predict earthquakes, or maybe more accurately, if you know how I roll, (laughs) how we've predicted earthquakes throughout the ages. Okay,
1: back in time.
0: (laughs) I don't spend too much time in the past. (laughs) So, sidebar about earthquake prediction. Going as far back as 400 BC, there are accounts of people using observations of -of out-of-the-ordinary phenomenon to predict earthquakes. (sighs) And these range from observing changes in the atmosphere and clouds to animals' odd behavior. Mm -hmm. In fact, animal behavior was heavily leaned on for centuries when it comes to predicting an earthquake, and there might be something to it. Right. So it's thought that animals might be more sensitive to subtle vibrations,
1: like the ones that show
0: up in foreshocks leading up to earthquakes.
1: That's like a thing that's sort of known. I don't know if it's true, but, you know, people sort of think it's true.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is, but scientifically, there's not much evidence that ties animal behavior to accurate predictions of earthquakes. And also... It, it might be more likely that stories of animals acting strange leading up to earthquakes are the result of a form of autobiographical memory known as flashbulb memories. Mm. I'm sure all of us have these, but it's basically a vivid memory around a particularly positive or negative event. Right. So, you know, like the question, like, where were you when you learned about 9-11? Right. That's the kind of question that triggers a flashbulb memory because yeah. it's a particularly traumatic event.
1: But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, like you're in this moment and suddenly everything around it takes on significance. Is that what you're mm-hmm. getting at? Yeah. It's like, it's the reason that you probably remember more detail
0: about the time that you fell off your bike and broke your arm than you do about your walk to work today. Right. Right. There's, there's, there's something that happened in your past, like maybe 20 years ago that you can remember every detail of mm-hmm. because it's a traumatic or a super positive memory. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's known as a flashbulb memory. So when it comes to like, you know, the cat's acting real strange, <laughs> You know, you you happen to notice that and then a massive earthquake hits. You think, oh, you
1: know, my cat was acting strange right before it hit. They must be connected. Exactly. Probably not. It's a hard thing to measure too. Like, hey, look at that goat. (laughs) Do you look funny to you? I don't know, maybe. What do you do? I'm a seismologist. Oh, cool. What are you working on?
0: I'm uh, watching goats at the moment.
1: Yeah. Right now I'm watching goats. Yeah. And 10, 30 goats normal. (laughs) (laughs) 10.35, 10.35, still normal. A notebook filled with <laughs> like five-minute increments.
0: <laughs> At the top of the page, it says, goats, yeah. colon, acting normal. <laughs> and then every line under that Take, is just like the... The, the, the little quotes. Like uh, the ditto marks or whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> when I discover these ditto marks, man, I <laughs> cut my time in half.
0: <laughs> Another more modern potential indicator of earthquake activity is radon release. Ah. So if you remember from Chernobyl, part one and two, uh, episode twenty twenty one, Nuclear Norm told us all about radon. So it's a gas that's produced by radioactive decay of trace amounts of uranium found in most rocks. Mm-hmm. By the way, get get your basements checked for radon. Yeah. And the idea is that vibrations from foreshocks leading up to earthquakes can cause abnormally high radon release. And actually, in two thousand nine, there was a an article published in Technophysics that found radon release predicted earthquakes in 87 instances since the 60s. Hey, it's pretty reliable. It is, but the problem is, is that it's not very accurate. Uh, so yeah, the, you'd basically see these spikes in radon release, but they'd be detected sometimes thousands of kilometers away and months in advance of the eventual earthquake. Oh, so
1: it sucks, forget it.
0: If you detect this spike in radon and you can say, there's gonna be an earthquake, <laughs> Within like at
1: a thousand kilometers, s- at some, some point in the next point few months, sometime someday. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Glad you showed up. Helping or hurting, Bill.
0: <laughs> There's some hope that electromagnetic disturbances can be harnessed as precursors to indicate impending earthquakes. Uh, and they they have a they kind of got a high profile from what's known as the Coralitos anomaly. So there was a monitoring station in Coralitos, California, that detected a massive spike in electromagnetic amplitude about seven kilometers and three hours before a massive earthquake hit. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of promising, but it also didn't really go anywhere because Mm -hmm. over the 10 years that followed, they set up a lot of these kinds of monitoring stations in the area, and none of them saw a similar kind of spike in electromagnetic amplitude that would predict any kind of earthquake. There were tons of earthquakes, but none of them were preceded by this kind of spike in electromagnetic energy. So that was a bust. Really, it seems like earthquake prediction is still fundamentally based on gathering data and predicting trends, which kind of, that kind of describes the scientific method. But what I mean is there's no single cause to point to and say there's going to be an earthquake right here. Uh You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's other things where, you know, you have like oh, this thing is happening? Well, it's going to definitely lead to this other thing. All they right. haven't found that root thing that can predict all
1: earthquakes reliably. <laughs> and why should there be?
0: Exactly, because the entire Earth is moving at all times. Exactly. <laughs> so despite some notable instances of successful earthquake prediction, for example, and most embarrassingly for the CCP at the time of Tangshan, the 1975 Haisheng earthquake that we talked about, mm. in that situation, the study of seismic activity in the area throughout 1974 led the CCP to prepare the area around Haicheng for a potential earthquake, which hit with a magnitude of 7.3 in 1975. Haicheng is illustrative of the kind of approach that's most helpful. So you have these long-term studies of seismic trends, and you basically have to base your prediction on saying, like, there's been a lot of low-level seismic activity in this area. There's probably going to be something big happening soon. We should get ready. Right. Which is kind of, if you think about it, it's a more helpful approach to it instead yeah. of like, oh, there's going to be an earthquake here in half an hour. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> everything's going to get
1: destroyed. <laughs> Should I leave?
0: Exactly. So an article in the International Geophysics Journal published in 1997 went so far as to say that prediction of earthquakes is essentially impossible
1: mm-hmm.
0: because as we've been saying, the earth's surface is in a constant state of flux. So it's just as accurate to say that there is always an earthquake somewhere. Yeah. Earth don't give a shit. Right now, right now, there's an earthquake somewhere. Yeah, And you can say that at any point. (laughs) So just to wrap up, whatever happened to Tang Shan?
1: Whatever happened to Tang Shan, Peter?
0: Well, thank you, I'm glad you asked. For about three years after the earthquake, nothing. Ah, But then in 1979, the CCP decided to resurrect Tang Shan on the original site. And by 1985, nearly 200,000 families moved back into the city. Yeah, probably a good idea. I mean, I say they moved back. In communist China, you get moved back. So I don't know. <laughs> they were moved you know? back. And they loved it. Uh-huh. If mm-hmm. you ask the what the that Beijing newspaper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were all saving party officials before caring about their children. You know it. Today, the city is back to its former glory and then some. It's got universities, high schools, airport, railways. The modern population is just over 7.5 million. Uh-huh. Uh, And by all accounts, it's back on its feet after being reduced to dust on July 28th, 1976. Good. So that's the story of earthquakes and the great Tangshan earthquake of
1: 1976. That's crazy. Right? I still can't get over it. Like the uh, earthquake, everyone died. Oh, it took, it was shorter than that. I just spent an hour talking about earthquakes
0: in Tangshan. Mm -hmm. But if you remember, the part where I talked about the earthquake was...
1: 30 seconds.
0: Yeah. Which was how long it took this earthquake to level
1: Tangshan. <laughs> it's unreal. I mean, we, we come yeah. back to that time and again and just, it's one of our sort of mm-hmm. tropes at this point. But yeah, a lot of these things happen very quickly and sort of mm-hmm. almost anticlimactic. Right. It's not a movie. Yeah. It's a, a no. real life thing that just goes, and we just happen to be in the way. So for, for music... I'll go first. I've been talking for a while now. I'll just keep going. Keep talking.
0: So for me, it's a stoner sludge metal band from Miami
1: Uh called Torch. I know you know them. Oh, Torch with an E. Is that how it's? No, it's Torch. I'm just making the distinction. Torchy. 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 I love Torch. Love me
0: some Torchy. Yeah. Yeah. I love Torchy. Album I went with is In Return from 2007. Okay. And the song is Tarpit Carnivore.
1: <laughs>
0: don't know if you're familiar with that one. Not um, that so,
1: particular song.
0: Um, you probably recognize it if you yeah, yeah. listen to Torch. But, uh, so in part because of the name, carnivore, cannibalism, surprise <laughs> cannibalism in an episode about earthquakes. Right, right, right. <laughs> but also when you listen to the actual song, it's like, it's heavy and crushing. Yeah. Like the guitar has this kind of oscillating distortion to it uh-huh. where, you know, like sometimes when it's like so low and distorted, yeah, it almost sounds like it's blowing out your ears. Oh, like yeah. It had that same effect. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I've heard you make that sound with your guitar. <laughs> so I know that it's a sound that we can dig. but it really makes me visualize like the wall shaking and like everything kind of like your vision doubled and stuff. Yeah. It's just yeah, really yeah. heavy and crushing. And it kind of sounds like I think Tang Shang.
1: That's a pretty good choice because torch. I've never seen any other band do this. Yeah. And I I, I noticed it when I saw them live as certain songs, and that's this is probably one of those songs, they'll switch guitars, and their guitars are tuned so ridiculously low. Yeah. That like I mean, this if you if you're a musician, if you're a guitar player, you'll know what I'm talking about. But basically, like yeah. the 12th fret. Mm -hmm. is basically the note play there would be what the open E string would be on standard tuning. So it's so high, it's it's so (laughs) low that when you hit it open, it just goes, and you, when (laughs) you see them live, you like, you just see their strings flapping on their guitar. Like, this is ridiculous. But the sound is like, it's not even notes. It's just more of a feeling. Yeah. It's like... Oh, vroom, oh vroom, yeah. Vroom. It's really That must be cool. incredible. I've never... I haven't come across like any other band's done that. It's like their thing.
0: Ken mode sometimes. They get pretty low. Yeah, that's true. They get a couple songs where like, especially when it's like the two bass songs. Yeah. Doesn't sound as low as this. Maybe some Caius, but even then... Yep. Uh, not as low as this. No,
1: this is another extreme.
0: Like the the flappy is a good describe, descriptor. flappy descriptor. Like I called it oscillating, but it's just, yeah, it's just, it feels like it's blowing out your eardrums. No,
1: yeah, that's <laughs> a good way to put it too. Cause yeah, it's more of a, a sensation than like yeah, a yeah. sound. Yeah. So Tarpet Carnivore <clears throat> by Torch. Nice. How about you, Lee? Well, uh, my instructions from Peter for this episode were, he said, <laughs> rumble in the seventies. <laughs> Which I first took to be a street fight between gangs. <laughs> so I was thinking like, "I warriors come out to play." But uh,
0: in retrospect, <laughs> I realized that that could go a lot of different ways. I'm also <laughs> thinking dis, disco
1: might have been roped in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> disco anyway, boys. Go on. Earthquake in the '70s. So I was just thinking '70s mm-hmm. bands. I went with uh, Cheap Trick. Hey, and uh, the song is it's my favorite cheap trick song and it's called mm. A vida Zane oh okay it's a banger nice it's a rocker nice. and uh, they're basically just the lyrics they're just in several different languages saying so it's au revoir A Vida Zane Buenas Noches oh, yeah. and over and over again until they end it all with Harry Carey kamikaze suicide and that's the big climax so it's kind of like the the big farewell like bye we're screwed you're right yeah 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 yeah, appropriate uh, yeah it's appropriate it's a good
0: one yeah well thanks for joining us that was a disaster that was a disaster if you like what you heard like i said at the beginning the best thing you can do is to tell a friend to listen and maybe (laughs) don't wait until your city's reduced to rubble by a massive (laughs) earthquake in 30 seconds
1: yeah that (laughs) would be before that very inappropriate
0: yeah. Also, I hope that doesn't happen to you. Yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> the next best thing you can do is to subscribe wherever you listen and leave a rating or review. Those are also super helpful. If you like what we're doing, tell us. If you don't, also tell us. I recently got criticized in a review for not knowing how to say Thames in our like fourth episode. Right. Our third episode. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Look, look. <laughs> Okay, I've learned my lesson. I look up pronunciations now. <laughs> if you want to keep up with what we're doing on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at This Disaster Pod, you can also uh, get everything in one place: ThisDisasterPod.com. We also have a patreoncom Pod. We can get lots of bonus content, micro disasters that come out every two weeks. You get access to live streams of the major disasters. Like right now, we had some patrons watching in the Discord. Thanks for joining us. We're also hang. You can join our Discord if you go to our website and just hang out. We chatting tonight before the episode so you can you can get in on that too. Get in on that. Also if you're a patron, you get some discount codes on merch such as the shirts that are open right now for pre-order until October 16th. So go on our shop website shop.thisdisasterpod.com, mm. go to the shirt page, order yourself a shirt, put in all your preferences, click order, it'll it'll say it's a back order but essentially we're making them to order, so order yourself a shirt. We'll collect all the orders until October 16th, then make them and ship them out to you and you'll have them by Christmas. Boom. So get on that. Don't forget, we're going to be doing uh, that watch party. We're going to be doing like a Halloween watch party. I think that's also, we'll kick some dates around, but I think we're looking at October 16th. Yeah. And uh, if you want to get in on that, I would get into our Discord as well. So you can maybe vote on what we're going to watch.
1: Shout out your favorite Uh, horror movie.
0: Yeah. Shout that out. Yeah. Well, you you can do that on social media too. Oh, sure. At... At this disaster pod, tell us what horror movie you want to group watch with all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that, and we'll like live stream it, and we'll we'll make it a we'll make it a time. Pop some corn. So Do that, yeah.
1: Uh, and I think that's pretty much all I had to say. Lee, you got anything to add? Um, yeah. Well, what do you think is the best thing about the country Switzerland? Chocolate. What I know is the 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 flag is a big plus. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. Oh, dear.
1: Oh, we have a lot of fun.
0: That is incredible. <laughs> I am I am going to use that so much. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. I'm going to alienate all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wait. Next time. Oh, next time. Next time, we'll be talking about everything that can and has gone wrong when you're racing at 300 kilometers an hour. Oh, boy. So stay tuned for that one. Thanks everyone for joining us and we'll see you in our next major disaster.
1: Bye.